Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to have a chat with Tabitha. So Tabitha, if you can tell me when and where you were born, if you can describe to me what it was like where you grew up, the school she went to, and the education that you received. You bet. Hi, Tim. I'm so glad to be here and chatting with you today. So I was born in 1985. So doing the math, that makes me about 37 years old. And not a lot of women want to actually say how old they are, but I want to own that. <laughs> so actually, I was I'd born... Be, I'd be about 25. Oh, thank you. I was wrong. a good age. <laughs> Oh, well, I was born in Juneau, Alaska, and Juneau is very unique because it is a temperate rainforest and you cannot drive in or out of it. You can only take a plane or a boat. So it was a very interesting experience to live in a place that was very isolated. Um, However, my father uh, worked for the airlines, and so we were able to travel a lot and get out often, which if anyone lives someplace cold, that is how you survive living there for long periods of wow. time. So Juno, then, it's, 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 it's like way up there, way up north, north <laughs> to Alaska. Well, it's, it's in southeast, so it's close to Canada, a little north of Washington State in the U.S. Ah. Mm-hmm. And the only way in and out is by boat or plane. Yes. What about um, Shanks's pony on, on skis, taking a dog <laughs> sled, something like that? Well, you would have to find your own path. There was no path to any other towns around, so you'd have to get pretty creative to do that. Wow. So what was the, the climate like? What was the weather like um, during the year? Yeah, have, so it was actually four seasons very... or just the two? <laughs> pretty much just two seasons, and it rained all the time. When we would see the sunshine peeking through clouds, we'd call them sucker holes because we just like <laughs> hope for a minute, but then we'd get sucked into it and then, you know, it would just <laughs> move on. And then, but when we did have a sunny day or an afternoon, the whole town would shut down and you would just see handwritten notes on glass doors and like, we've shut down our business, go enjoy the sunshine yourself. And so that would be, <laughs> it's really important open, to get that vitamin D. Open when the clouds come back. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> which is the 364 days of the year. So yeah, it, but it was pretty um, moderate. Like it would snow, but most of the time it was just snain, which is like snow rain. Mm. Um, but it was a lot of fun because there was just a lot of um, opportunity to not let weather get in our way of living life. Because if you did, you would just be inside all the time. So you'd yeah. wear raincoats, your rain boots, and you'd go outside and play. Wicked. Yeah. So, being isolated like that, what was the main industry in the town, just out of interest? Yeah, so it is the capital. So there's a lot of political influences as well as um, we have a lot of tourists. And so we had tour ships come in. And so downtown is a place where a lot of people, you know, the town would have 30,000, but then you would have almost 50, 60,000 people in the whole town when the tour bus or tour bus, the tour ships would come in, the cruise uh-huh. ships. 
So I guess one of the main um, industries is the tourist industry. Yep, it is, so, for sure. Ah. So what's there to see? if, there's, if you, you, You're attracting all these tourists coming up. Is it coming up the river on, on, a, on, a, on a ship? It's So it's through the, it's in the ocean, but it's a channel. So there's a bunch of islands between Alaska and the open water. And so they'll kind of go through the islands. So they'll see a lot of um, wildlife, you know, bears and eagles and whales and fish. And then we have the Menonhall Glacier in Juneau, which used to be when I grew up, like you could see it, but now it has receded so much. You kind of have to walk a little bit back to see the glacier. Oh, yeah, there's the... I've been to a few glaciers in, in, in my time. There, there's one in, in Norway that I've visited probably half a dozen times over the last 40 years. Oh, how the, fun. The um, Glacier. Okay. And, when, and that's receded quite a long way, actually, in the, in the time that I've been to see it. And now it's just a, a little bit at the end of this bit of valley. <laughs> yes. It's just a big valley. Right. Um, so... So, the uh, what are they, the, the climate activists all I'll have you believing that we're all going to die fairly soon because the snow's all melting. But if you actually look at look at the actual long term, it's a natural thing that happens in cycles anyway. Mm. So, at the moment we're going for a warm patch. In a few years' time, we'll be going for a cold patch and. And that glacier will fill up again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and it's all about cycles, isn't it? Absolutely. So, schooling then. What was the schooling like? Yeah, so we June? had about four elementary schools, uh, two middle schools, and one high school when I was growing up. And being able to kind of go through school with the same classmates was a lot of fun. And I just remember a lot of like sweet memories made with my teachers of just encouraging us to explore and to learn and then to go outside and play with my friends. And I feel like school for me was, what's that? In the wet. In the wet, exactly. (laughs) Rain or shine, we were outside. And it was just a really fun opportunity to just um, learn how to make friendships and relationships. I think school is so important to learn the academics, but we also learn so many things on how to relate to people, whether it's a friendship dynamic or an authority dynamic. Um, so I just really enjoyed my elementary and middle school years. And actually, I met my best friend in um, kindergarten when we were five years old. And so we're celebrating our 32-year friend anniversary of that's how long we've been friends and it's so fun to just have known someone that we met you know in school and have still stayed in touch all these years even living in different places oh that's lovely and how often do you get to meet up well um not very often maybe every couple years but we're literally meeting to um in the middle so she lives in washington and i live here in minnesota we're meeting in colorado um this thursday so I'm very excited about that. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. So, so you didn't have an awful lot of snow and stuff, and it was just more sort of slushy stuff during the winter. And did it get really cold there, or, or is that just a, a a kind of a misnomer about Alaska being really cold up above the Arctic Circle and and, and that, or is it, it you're affected by a milder type of climate? 
Yeah, it was really mild down in Southeast. Now, Alaska is so big that it has a lot of different types of like geography and different Mm. like temperature ranges. So thankfully where I grew up, it was always moderate. It wouldn't get below zero very often or above 80 very often. It was very like small. However, the further you go up in Alaska, you could get up to 90 degrees in the summer and down to negative 90 in the winter. Mm. So schooling then, what was your favorite subject? Which my, one did you, you, you just can't wait to get the school to take part in? Oh my goodness, that's such a good question. I really enjoyed like social studies. I love human dynamics and how people made choices and the ripple effects in society because of those choices. Ah, and have you kept that sort of enthusiasm up for that subject? Yes, it really has played into my love for people and dynamics and then getting my master's in social work. Again, just understanding people are in systems. And when we can understand the systems that people are a part of, it's so much easier to relate to them and have empathy and to understand them. Mm. Well, we'll come on to that a bit later. That's just sparked a little question that I'd like to to open up and discuss as, as we get there. But let's 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 concentrate on the schooling then. So, um, was there any particular lesson that you you just wanted to stay in bed for and, and didn't want to go out in the rain to get to school? <laughs> um, let's see, science. Science was a topic where I just would rather have not, it didn't like make sense in my brain. It was pretty challenging, although I under like, I appreciated it, but it never clicked for me. Hmm. But you still turned up. <laughs> yeah, but I still, I, yes, I was a goody two shoes, very type A. I always wanted to have good grades. So I always showed up and did my best, but maybe mm. my best was a B minus. But that was frustrating for me because I always wanted A's. <laughs> Fair enough. So what other, what other subjects did you cover in school that you liked doing? We had a history class where we were able to pick out a time in history. And I don't remember what this time was, but we actually had a mock trial where we got to pretend that we were lawyers and like kind of go back into history and take all the facts and come up with arguments and you had a jury and I was one of the lawyers and I just really loved being able to like trying to argue my point and uh, Mm. that was a lot of um, that was a lot of fun. Ah so it wasn't the Sailor Witch trials then? (laughs) It was not no. (laughs) (laughs) That would have been quite fun I guess. That would have been something for an eighth grader. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So did you have any sort of like theatre studies or music or how, how, what, what was that like? Did you did you get involved with the, the choral society or the thespians? You know, I was very involved with band. I played the clarinet and enjoyed playing the piano as well. And so I I was in band and I did a play... I think maybe early on um, in elementary school and somewhat enjoyed it. But I I prefer to be not in the spotlight, honestly, kind of in the back, 
um, where I can support <laughs> people and be part of something great, but not always in the spotlight. So I like being part of a band, which was, you know, kind of a group activity. Hmm. Part of the chorus. Yeah. Part of the band. Uh, where, you, where you get, where if you, if, if you play a dumb note, nobody notices. As a perfectionist, right? I don't want to do anything wrong. So the more that there is out there, then people won't know if I mess up. <laughs> Fair one. So did you graduate high school with honors or did you just sort of scrape through with the bees? I did actually graduate with honors. I was in the top 10% of my class and living in Alaska where there was only at the time like 500,000 people that lived in the entire state. They wanted the graduates to stay in Alaska. So they gave scholarships to those that um, were in the top 10%. So that was motivating for me to help pay for college. And then I ended wow. up going up to Anchorage and attending college there. Oh, Anchorage. Are you familiar with it? If 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 I'm if I'm correct, Anchorage is like a spit from Russia. You can see <laughs> Russia. Well, not quite, but there is a place is it, in Alaska. Is it Anchorage? What's, what's the other place opposite? The, the uh, oh goodness, what is it? Is it Barrow? Barrow's, I think not, that not you can see is it? when it's really clear. You can see Russia. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Anchorage. Anchorage is a, is a good place, for sure. So, college. So you got a scholarship to go to college. Was it a sports scholarship? It, it was not. It was purely academic, that's for sure. <laughs> um, I enjoyed playing basketball throughout high school, but my academics was what got me the scholarship. And so I started attending a, a University of Alaska Anchorage, and I knew pretty much immediately when I started school, I wanted to get my bachelor's in criminal justice and work in the yeah. justice system, like in prisons, or I at one kind of avenue I'd explored is maybe being a police officer or working for the FBI. Um, and so I started with that. And that was a lot of fun to be involved in the justice department. And I got to do a lot of research as well as got an internship when I was 20 with probation and parole. And so I supervised um, low like um, offenders that had been released from prison and they didn't need like very much supervision. And so, which is why they put a 20 year old in charge of them, <laughs> which I'm not sure why, but I was really good at it too and connected with them. Um, but I'm sure they were a little frustrated coming out of prison and then having to report to a 20 year old. Yes. So these were like low level criminals they weren't sort of your you're you're straight out of top drawer murderers and stuff like that have been sort of kicked out right well i mean honestly some of the murdering is low recidivism so you don't necessarily reoffend if you kill someone so i believe i did have someone on my caseload that had killed someone but it was it was you know a complicated case yes <laughs> yep yep <laughs> but what i loved about it was i got to connect with them on a human level Right. Like mm -hmm. my job was to make sure that they were um, that they felt supported, but they also understood the the guidelines for getting released from prison. And so I, I truly enjoyed working that job and even considered doing it later on um, 
as I graduated, but just really felt like it was a great opportunity to support those that were coming out of jail or prison or whatever um, place that they were coming from and just mm. allow them the opportunity to make different choices. Mm. So this was up in Anchorage? Yes. So that was that was all part of the course, was it? Um, it wasn't. It was kind of extra, um, something that I wanted to do where I think I got a, a school credit for it. But really, I just felt like I knew that I would eventually need to get a big girl job. And most of the time they want experience. And so I needed to find something while I was in college to be gaining experience. So when I graduated, I could actually get a job. Mm. So what was the, the actual major in? It was in justice. Okay, because you mentioned about um, social work. Yep, yep. I went on and I got my master's in social work later. Mm -hmm. Was that at the same time or was that after? Um, it was several years after. I knew that I wanted, well, I had dreamed of getting um, an advanced degree, but I didn't know in what in, if I wanted to get my master's or my PhD. And then I started working at the Denver County Jail and I worked with an amazing social worker and an amazing psychologist. And between talking with both of them on the different avenues that both of their careers had taken, I decided I wanted to pursue social work. And so I was able to get into grad school then. Aha. Because I, I, I interviewed a, um, a forensic psychologist. Oh, interesting. Mm. She actually dealt with the real-life Hannibal Lecter. Wow, fascinating. Yeah, it was a fascinating chat. But we're not talking about her, we're talking about you. <laughs> so after you, 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 you got your college degree and you moved on, you're working for the, the sheriff's office. I, I was working for them and then I moved to Colorado because I had lived in Alaska my entire life. And so I, I wanted an adventure. So I moved out to Colorado and I started working for a juvenile detention center where I would transport juveniles once they had been arrested and um, sentenced. And so I was able to take them to all over Colorado. So it was really fun to be able to kind of see the state as well as you get a lot of kind of downtime to talk with the kids that I was driving around. So I got to get to know them and kind of hear who they were. Because one of the things that I, I've learned over the years of working with people um, in the justice system is that the they are not what their choices are. Like these are amazing people that many of them made really poor choices and or were, were raised in really hard times. And many of us would have made those same choices if we had that same background. And so working that job just really helped me just empathize and like understand the adults that I had worked with in the prison system or in the jail system as kids, knowing that some of these kids would unfortunately end up in the adult system later on. Yeah. It's all down to, to how you're brought up and, and the choices that are made at the time. Take me for instance, I could have quite easily ended up going in down that road of, uh, and ended up in jail, but um, I ended up in the British Army. Wow, <laughs> which, amazing! Which was like a prison sentence. 
<laughs> but I had a great time at it. I really did. Um, but that's another story. So how long did you work at that job for? I worked there for about a year. And then I transitioned to working for the state. Um, and I, no, it was Denver County. And I worked in food stamps. And so this was this um, idea of people meeting certain income criteria and they can't afford food very often. So they come in and apply for that. And I worked with the homeless unit. So it was a lot of fun because I got to meet a lot of people that didn't get seen a lot. They just were ignored. And I was able to talk with them and make sure that they got their food stamps and those benefits that they were entitled to. And when I did that, it was just a really amazing opportunity, again, to just see people for who they were and not the choices that they had made and really, again, made me empathize. So even now when I see someone homeless on the side of the street, I'll make eye contact. I may not give them money, but I'll give them a smile because many of them just feel so lonely and, mm. um, you know, just a smile and eye contact is really can make their day. Mm. So did you deal with a lot of veterans because a lot of veterans over here particularly um when they come out things don't go quite right they they've lost the system that they that looked after them and and then you leave and there's nothing <laughs> literally yeah. nothing and, and veterans so easily end up falling through the cracks and ended up on the street so yeah. did you get is that similar in america it is or was it, it is very or, or similar was it just people that have come from a poor background that, that, that got kicked out and I suppose you get a mix of it. Yeah, there's definitely a mix. Um, thankfully, there's a lot of programming for veterans where they have special benefits to really kind of help them. And actually later on um, in my story, I work for um, Veterans Affairs where I work with female veterans and helping them get their services because many women didn't identify as a veteran, they kind of assumed you had to be a man. Um, and so being able to support them was was a real privilege too later on. Mm. Well, we'll come to that. But um, yeah, I, I guess some people that serve that didn't see combat don't see themselves as veterans. And, and, and we have that similar problem over here. Do you? So oh, interesting. Yeah. But we'll come on to that. Well, like you say, that's, that's starting to become a an interesting conversation. Yes. So, um, so you moved on then. So what did you move on to? What was the next stage? That, yep. Uh, so then I ended up getting a job at the Denver County Jail after working with the homeless unit um, for food stamps. And I worked in an amazing um, new idea. It had just been grant funded for mentally ill women who had co-occurring addictions. And so women that came into the Denver County Jail had to meet these criteria, and then they could come and live in the pod. And so me and the psychologist and the social worker, we all had our offices in this pod with a bunch of um, like beds, right? And so we lived with them. We They were showering, they were going to the bathroom, like it was all there, and we got to kind of just be able to support them and help them when they many of them transition back out because many of them were just in for a short period of time and needed kind of some of the support and so being that case manager again was just a really cool opportunity to to meet women 
when they most needed it, when they were kind of at the bottom of of what was going on in their life. However, at this point, they were safe, they were fed, they were on medication. And so this was kind of the most opportune time to step in and assist them. And so I worked that job for about two and a half years and and truly loved it. Mm. So did you manage to, I mean, what sort of success rate did you have? That's a great question. Success was something that we had to define loosely. So for mm. many of the women, if they didn't come back within a week, that was a success. If we <laughs> never saw one again, that was also a success. However, you don't know what happened to them at that point. Mm. And so there was just a lot of very loose parameters Um whether or not that they actually went to the appointments that we set up for them while they were incarcerated. Like that was also a success, just that follow through. And so again, just meeting them where they're at with what they're able to handle um, was really important to kind of just start with little baby steps. So that way they didn't feel like they were set up to not succeed. Hmm. So where'd you go after that then? From there, I met a boy in Alaska, and he pursued me enough that I was like, okay, I'll move back to Alaska and date you. (laughs) So I ended up moving back to Alaska from Colorado. And uh, thankfully, he's my husband now. So he's a very good salesman. He's in finance. (laughs) Well, if it had been Arthur, Blake, he'd have come and stayed with you, wouldn't he? I know. I know. I told him. Colorado. I Instead of expecting you to move, chuck everything <laughs> in and move for him. Well, that's why you never say never, because I said I would never live in Alaska again. And then God mm. laughs, and then you end up doing those things. So <laughs> that was my own fault, but it was worth it. It was worth it. So I moved up, and actually at that point, um, I started grad school. And so I started um, working on my social work degree and had two really cool internships. One, I got to work in um, a psychiatric ward in the hospital for people who had um, attempted suicide. And so it was acute care, helping them be able to feel safe enough and be safe enough to transition back home. And then I also had another internship working for the VA, uh, Veterans Affairs, and uh, worked with the women's unit, um, where we, again, tried to educate and inform women on their resources, as well as um, help the VA, which was like a very male-dominated system, get things for women so they could get physicals and mammograms and all the things that women need that Mm. the VA hadn't necessarily been set up for. Uh Well, before we start talking about the VA, let's just take a little bit of a step back to working on that that ward Mm -hmm. and dealing with these, I call them, failed suicide attempts. Mm. Because if they were successful, they wouldn't have been there. Now, one of the things that I'm trying to champion at the moment is to destigmatize suicide and make it a normal, everyday conversation where people can talk about suicide and helping people that are thinking about it. Mm. Because we've all had dark dark thoughts at some time in our lives, and and, and I I don't think there's many people that really haven't thought about having a go at topping themselves. And it's the ones that 
that that attempt it that you find that want to be found mm. are the ones that you could help. The determined person that that really does want to end it all, you're not going to find anyway. That they, they're going to go off somewhere quiet where they're not going to get found and do it, and uh, they'll be successful at it. And there's not a lot you can do about those, but it is the ones that, that are, uh, it's a cry for help. So the, the the idea is that we 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 try and normalise talking about it, um, and I guess you've seen it firsthand. These people are, that have, have been through that process of trying to, to to end it all. How do you go about talking to them to to help them through their process? Well, it really just started. It starts with asking them questions you know, kind of hearing where they're at, what's going on in their minds. And sometimes they don't want to talk. So sometimes it starts with just sitting with them and just being there and meeting them where they're at. I feel like it's so important. And I love that you're you're wanting to normalize talking about it. So that way, when people have those thoughts, they don't keep it bottled up because that's what then leads to the thoughts becoming actions and people harming themselves. And so being able to have those thoughts and be like, yeah, um, I think it's really important. And I found that anyone can have those thoughts. Like we had a range of people from, you know, someone like low socioeconomic status to super high and like, you know, elite people. It does not bias. And it's so important that we take care of our mental health and when we start to have those dark thoughts, find someone safe to speak to about it. Yeah, and I think I think if we do get to to achieve the aim of normalising talking about it and, and talking about death as well, I mean that's that's something that goes along with it. And for far too long, it's been a taboo subject that people don't like talking about death, but it's it's the one ticket everybody's got. I mean, the the, yeah. the old joke is. We all end up dying and paying taxes. Well, you, I mean, there's a lot of people that try and wriggle out of paying taxes, but there's nobody that can't wriggle out of dying. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's the one thing that everybody's got in common, and, and and people just find it really difficult to talk about. And until we can make that conversation open and normal, then then we we, we just it's just a work in progress. Yeah, it is. Mm. So from your perspective then, <clears throat> how many how many successes I use that for term fairly loosely that that you dealt with, sent out the door, how many carried on and you didn't see again? And how many returners did you get that have tried it a second or third time? Mm, that's a good question. I, I don't know the numbers, but I thankfully, I would say there were less that returned and that many of them did get the support that they needed. Part of the requirements of, of leaving was that you had a transition plan, right? And so there was a meeting with their support system, with their therapist, with their you know spouses and kids. And so they had a really great system that set the person up as much for success as they would, if they wanted it, they could have it. Mm. 
And so it was very, it was very encouraging, but we still had some, you know, repeat people come in and, and that was okay too. That's, that was kind of their journey and we were there for them. Yeah. I, I guess with, with, with just about anything, you always get a serial um, <laughs> suicide attempters. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. those people was just, they just want that, that it's just a cry for help, I guess. And they just want somebody to, to, to give them a hug and then to tell them that they're okay, not to be okay. Yeah. Hmm. So let's have a look at your veterans. You move on to the veterans. Yes. This is all internship, was it? Yep, it was an internship. Yeah, it was a really neat opportunity to, it was program management. And so it was kind of looking at the system as a whole and then figuring out how to best serve the women veterans. And I just really felt like it was an honor to be able to inform them and honor them for the sacrifices that they had made that they have completely downplayed because number one, if they hadn't seen battle, like you had said, or because they were a woman, they didn't think that they had the same benefits as the men did. I think that's a, that's probably a failing with the system that um, if they've, they've obviously slipped through a net somewhere on the um, transitioning side of, uh, from the, from the military where they haven't had the full um, transition brief. So they're, they're not told exactly what they're entitled to, what they're not entitled to. Um, yeah, and, and, and we, we occasionally get people that slip through the net, but I think the, the biggest problem with veterans is, is once, once they've left the military, the civilian network doesn't quite understand what veterans have done, what they've been through. They don't, there definitely isn't that same level of support for veterans. And for veterans, and I found it myself, working, going into the civilian world and going into a civilian um, workplace, I found it extremely difficult not gripping people that that just didn't they don't work the same way as the military the military uh, is there they're given a task and, and they get a job done mm-hmm. in the civilian world they'll knock off at four o'clock whether the job's <laughs> halfway through or not anything and and that is quite frustrating I particularly bet. for 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 for, for 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 military that that doesn't matter what the job gets done and then you then you can fall out but well sure for, for somebody halfway for a job and then and then just leave it <laughs> well and for the military the job was necessary because if you didn't do it someone could die so Absolutely. you took it seriously and that discipline became a habit right and that's just kind of how you operate from and unfortunately mm-hmm. here in America society does not work like that. You know, people do not have great work ethic. They do not have discipline like the military offers. I feel like all of us could probably benefit from being trained by the military. <laughs> you know, not necessarily everything that they've done or you have to do, but the discipline aspect is such a, a refreshing yeah. thing. And I know even my husband who recruits and 
and um, works with a lot of people. He loves hiring veterans because they do what they say they're going to do. They show up like they're just predictable. They understand structure. They appreciate structure. And so I just have, I have so much respect for people who have served women and men alike and is even the military system and every system has its flaws, but ultimately um, the system was created uh, for a lot of good. Yeah. I I find it quite amusing when, whenever there's a a crisis of some sort, uh, a national crisis, the first people they get called in is the military. And I guess it's the same in America. The, the, the crisis happens. The first people they, they, they mobilise is the National Guard to come in and sort something out because the civilian network just hasn't got the, <laughs> You don't know what's going on. They just right? haven't got a clue, have they? Yes, yes. And there are a lot of agencies that have upped their game and are really great supports for the military. But you're right. Yeah. Like, that's kind of who we call in, who like protects us and supports us and get us straightened out. And like, so we can figure out what we're doing with our life. Yeah. (laughs) So what happened when you finally graduated with your master's then? Yeah. So at that point I started working for the state of Alaska and I transitioned into child welfare. It wasn't a, it was another one of those things that I said I would never do because <laughs> when you hear social worker, you kind of assume, oh, you work with kids um, and you work in the child welfare system. And I I don't like to be cliche, but yet again, <laughs> I had this amazing opportunity. And so I stepped in into a really great unit that actually analyzed cases. So I, I wasn't there in the trenches interviewing kids once they've gone through trauma, but I was there reviewing to make sure that the kids were kids needs were being met as well as the social workers needs were being met and like the system as a whole was working. And so it was a really cool position, especially for my type A, very rigid brain. I came in, I had a case to evaluate each day and like that was it. It was there was no drama around it. However, I was not a mom at that point. I am a mom now. And I don't think that there's any way that I could have read and experienced what I experienced reading about the trauma that happened to those kids now as a mom. And I've even like kind of just pushed a lot of those stories out because I'm like, Mm. I just cannot even process that. (laughs) Yeah, I guess when when you become a parent, you get a different outlook on life altogether. Uh, It does change the way that you look at different things. And I guess... If you've been in, been in, I, I guess social work, looking at some of the abuse that kids get when they're growing up, that can have a, a, a big effect on on the way that you look at the world once you get your own saucepan lids. Yeah, for sure. We tend to parent kids how we were parented. Now, it doesn't mean that we replicate it. A lot of times, we. <laughs> we we can learn different ways to do it, but if you were parented in a way that was dysfunctional, it's going to be harder for you to parent. And so then it it kind of continues this like family and generational trauma and poor choices. And all of those parents love their kids. I, I truly believe every parent like has love for their child, but when you choose addictions or people who are abusive, 
then you start making choices that can really harm children. And so that's where the state has to come in and protect those kids from the neglect and the abuse. But as a mom now, and I have an amazing husband and I have a great support system, but if I was alone raising my kids, I, I mean, it is hard. It is so hard. And so many of these parents were doing it alone. And yes, they should have asked for help and they didn't. And they made, you know, they neglected or abused their kid. But it's it's not too far from anyone if you don't take care of yourself. Yeah, and that's, that's one of the, I guess, one of the real things that people don't do. Particularly, I guess, parents what they'll do is that they'll put their kids first on everything and neglect themselves. And then they get to a stage where they can't look after themselves, let alone the kids. Um, and, and that's when the whole pack of cards starts falling apart, I guess. Yes, so yes, we have to take it, care of ourselves. And we need to so, take care of our marriages too, because the yeah. kids see how you interact with your significant other. And that is going to affect them immensely. And there was a reason why it was created, man and woman, having a child and being able to raise these kids up. And so just that support for that child is is so, so important, as well as having a family units. And we don't live near family, but we've created family, right? We've become mm-hmm. really good friends with people to give us that support. So if I need a break, I can either hire a babysitter, have my husband watch the kids so I can go out and take care of myself. And then I can show up better as a mom, better as a wife, and just better as a human. Mm. And that's really important. Um, And it's important to have that type of network that you can do that. I mean, that's what grandparents generally for. Um, Mind you, there there is that little problem with you give them to the grandparents and then when you come back and you're wondering why is my child bouncing off the walls <laughs> you give them all that gen- sugar right and all the toys everything they fill want them, <laughs> fill them up with sugar before you hand them back yep yep that's about right but you know <laughs> what grandparents have deserved that and earned that because um yeah raising us kids <laughs> i just feel bad for my parents at times and so if they want to give my kids sugar i guess i i deserve that <laughs> just get their own back <laughs> yep <laughs> <laughs> so what happened next where did you get to oh, once you got your masters yeah so got a saucepan lid yeah You've got a different perspective on life. Yes. Did you become I, a stay-at-home mom? I or? did. I went that route. So I worked for a couple of years, and then my husband and I had decided that I would stay home once we had our first child. And that lasted about a week. And I was like, I'm going to go crazy <laughs> if I don't do something else. Like, I cannot just hang out with this kid. I was I was raised an only child, so I've always had downtime. And I'm introverted. I like my thinking time, my alone time. And here I had this little human that relied on me all the time. And I was like, I just did not fully understand yeah. what being a parent was. But yes, so at that point, I realized I still wanted to help and I wanted to work with other moms and I wanted to be able to take my baby with me. So I ended up finding an organization that worked with teen moms. And so I was able to bring my kid along and they had their kids and we hung out and I was able to encourage Mm. them 
Well, and honestly, they were able to encourage me because many of them had become moms before me. And so their kid was older. And so then I kind of got to ask them, like, how do you deal with this, you know, this new stage of life and this and those. I just think that it's so important that people recognize that when women choose life, that is so important that we need to honor them and encourage them, even if they're 14 and they chose life. That is incredible. And we can learn from them. So that was an amazing opportunity to be involved um, with the organization. So I didn't, I wasn't paid, I didn't work, but I volunteered. And so that allowed me to just pick my hours, you know, pick what worked for my family. And we ended up eventually moving out of state. And so it was just, it was really nice to be able to be there for the time that I was. Mm. I guess that was a big learning curve for you as well. Um, I mean, when I first when I first turn up, you just put it in one end and it's coming out the other end. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Just dealing with that side of it and, and then they're throwing <laughs> up all over the place. Yeah. Newborn kids ain't much fun at all. I, I like them as they get older as well. Yes. <laughs> Mind you, that, 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 then that does present its own problems once they get older and they become, I mean, teenagers or the terrible twos. I mean, got to go for the terrible twos. God dear. <laughs> you you stood in the middle of the grocery store and the kids screaming and lying all over the floor and yes, we had you to up. leave many stores, many, many the things. Way of dealing of that. with that is walk away, leave them there screaming. And <laughs> They'll eventually stop. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then when they become teenagers. Dear, that's another set of problems you're looking forward to. <laughs> oh, man. Yes, I'm not there yet, but I anticipate it will be um, mind-blowing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all, it's all a struggle. Up to the age of about nine or ten, they're all right. And then once they, they, they just fall over that, sort of round about the 11, 12, uh, hit the teenage years, then then you're into a whole ball, a different ball game altogether. <laughs> oh, good. I've got a couple of <laughs> years to enjoy them then still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're fun until they don't want to be with you <laughs> right yes they still want to be with me at times so i i appreciate mm. that yeah so bring us a bit more up to date then where are you at present yeah so after we left alaska we moved to texas for a couple years and i had my second child and continued working with uh teen moms and i, I had i just love working with them because they again, completely inspire me. And it was a great opportunity for my kids to be around other kids that looked different, sounded different. Um, they were able to be exposed to things, you know, outside of our normal bubble. And so that was a really cool opportunity. But when we were in Texas, after, again, I had stayed home for a couple of years now just with the kids and volunteering. But at that point, my, my mother-in-law had come to visit and she'd asked me where I wanted to go for lunch. And I couldn't answer her <laughs> because all I could think of was taking my kids to Chick-fil-A or my husband's favorite restaurants. I had like completely like lost myself. It was ridiculous. And yeah. I knew something needed to change and kind of going back to this theme of taking care of ourselves, right? Like even though yeah. I was doing all these great things, I was raising my kids and I was volunteering. I was, you know, moving our home and making sure my husband was taken care of. I literally had kind of lost my joy, like who I was, what my purpose was, like at a bigger level. 
So I kind of started on this like self-development kick. And I'd always been in self-development as a social worker, but kind of then at that point got into life coaching, which leads me up to now being a life coach. And Mm. just my own self-coaching as well as hiring coaches to help me through times where I just felt stuck. And now I've been a therapist in the past. I've had therapy as well. But what I love about life coaching, because these are all helping areas, is that life coaching helps you like when you're feeling stuck, kind of just get to that next level. And you're looking forward versus looking behind. And so I just really like that because when I was working in the jails and doing therapy, like we'd always kind of look back at, you know, those decisions and traumas and, and the that just got really depressing all the time. But I wanted to talk about fun things and excitement and like joys and goals and habits. And so I moved into the life coaching realm. And again, wanted to be able to be available to my husband and to my kids. So this was the perfect realm to have a business that I can create my own schedule. And again, also do all of the other things that I absolutely love to do. And so I've Again, transition from working with um, teen moms, but I still love working with women in general. So I love specifically working with women who have the non nine to five jobs. So any woman that like, which is pretty much every woman, (laughs) that's right. The woman that like has the, you know, whether or not she has kids, but she's caring maybe for her parents or for children or for a spouse or for an animal and working and trying to do all the things and just kind of her life feels chaotic, being able to come alongside of her and help her feel not feel stuck and help create some order in her life so she can continue moving forward. That's where I get a lot of real joy out of. Uh-huh. So that's what you're doing then. And that's life what I'm doing now. And, and, and yeah, when there's so, so many women that, fall into that that malicious or the, the, that never-ending circle of the, the there's kids look after there's work there's there's housework there's there's everything shopping and and it, it just just keeps it's like a on a treadmill that's just getting faster and faster and then and, and <laughs> you just don't have time to stop and breathe because there's so much that that you've got to do and got to get done but there's always time to take time for yourself and and if you don't and that's when 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 they hit burnout and once they hit burnout they can't do it any longer yeah and um and that's when everything goes pitong and goes goes west and 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 i guess that's where you step in is trying to head that off at a pass to give yeah. them the tools to be able to just to be able to take that step back and take that condor moment <laughs> Condor moment. Okay. Think, assess the situation. Right, now we can go forward. Looked yes. after myself. Got me right. This is what we're going to do. Got a plan. Bump. Yeah. So that's that's where you are, is it? Yes, it is. How's it going? It's It's been interesting. Having my own business is something that I never wanted. Um, it was something that kind of just it made sense. Again, wanting to control my own schedule, be able to say what I want to say, not have a boss tell me what to do. So I'm like, I guess (laughs) this is the result. (laughs) 
And so, but it's, it's been so fun and it's just cool to see how a business can evolve. It's like almost like raising a child, right? Like you start to see their personality and then it just continues to change. And you're like, Oh, I didn't realize you were going to end up like that. But it has been really fun being able to, um, again, help women step outside of feeling stuck and create that order in their life. And I love just helping them to just make these small little edits because that's how I was able to make changes in my life was not by anything big and significant, but Mm. each day was like small little edits that I created in order to, to get to this life where it's really great. Now there's times I still don't have it figured out. Like none of us have it all figured out, (laughs) but it's quick, a lot quicker for me to turn around and be like, okay, now I need to get back on the right path. Like I got overwhelmed. I don't need to do that again. Like, how can I get back and do what I need to do? Hmm. So how did the pandemic treat you? Well, I started my business during the pandemic. And so that was um, challenging for sure. Uh, my, My kids were home with me at that point. Like, and I was doing homeschool with them. I was launching this business. And I remember pushing like enter to like, post my, you know, um, webpage and everything. And I remember just crying because I was like, this is it. This is me launching a business. <laughs> this is so anticlimactic. Like I have like my pajamas on, like it was just not what I had thought it was going to be. Um, but overall the pandemic, it was, it was challenging, but it was also really amazing. We got to spend so much more time as a family unit. We really got to appreciate, uh, travel and seeing people Because again, we don't live near family and there was a long time that we weren't able to see family. Mm -hmm. So now that we can travel, man, we are seeing friends, family, they're coming to see us because you just never know when that opportunity could be taken away. So it just really was a good mindset shift Mm -hmm. to appreciate what we have. So how is your business, how do you operate? Is it online? Is it all online or or do you have to get out and and, uh, touch base with people Yes. So most of the time it's virtual. However, I do workshops and those I prefer to do in person, although I have done them virtually. And um, I like to do group formats as well as individual coaching. And so those kind of the two routes you can go. And what I find really beneficial for like the group coaching is that especially with women, like someone will say something And then another will be like, oh, I think that too. And then like, there's this, this synergy and you just like normalize it and like, oh man, I just thought I was the only one that felt like this. And women are able to like realize that they can champion each other and not necessarily compare and judge, but really come together and encourage each other. Mm. Terrific. So that's where you're at. So that's where I'm at. I also started my own podcast too, um, back Uh in December. And it's called the Life Edit Podcast with Tabitha Perry. And so my podcast is the premise is how to break things down into small little edits so you can get big results. And, you know, there's different types of uh, themes that we go through, but really making it super practical and, and very short and concise. So that way you can kind of get some nuggets and then take action on them. Wicked. So do you get guests on or is it just you uh yourself most of the time it's just me yes it's just been a really cool opportunity to be able to download all the thoughts that I have and the books that I read and the information that I get and then communicate it in a way that other people would find interesting brilliant so where can people 
pick up on your podcast? Yes. So you can find it on Spotify or on um, iTunes. Brilliant. Well, Tabitha, oh, I've enjoyed this last 50 odd minutes. This has been I so think, fun, Tim. I think you've had quite a, quite an interesting life there, to be honest. Well, and thank I, you. I think you've, you've come up with a huge amount of life skills. This, this is true. This is true. So, thank you very, very, very much. Ah, thank you, Tim. You're welcome. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.